MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. Today, Michael Flynn is suing the 1-6 committee to block a phone record subpoena. Republican Congressman Scott Perry says he will not comply with the January 6th committee's request for an interview. The New York Times agrees with me that the committee is weighing the possibility of criminal referrals. The United Mine Workers of America in West Virginia is urging Manchin to change his mind on Build Back Better, and yet another long sentence for a Capitol rioter that assaulted a police officer. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Andrew Torres. Hey, everybody. Dana's out this week. Filling in today is real-life lawyer, a friend of mine, Andrew Torres. How's it going? Woo, it is going fantastically well. Thanks again for having me back. And uh, we have a jam-packed schedule of stories here. <laughs> the news is not slowing down for the holiday. No. yeah. <laughs> um, it's just ramping up and ramping up. And I imagine if there is a lull next week, it'll pick right back up where it left off after the new year. I think that's right. Um, later in the show, we're going to talk to Renato Mariotti, and we're, he's the host of the On Topic podcast. We're going to discuss Scott Perry's refusal to cooperate with the 1-6 committee. Um, and uh, this is breaking today. We have the first death in the United States from the Omicron variant. It's a Texas man that was, you guessed it, unvaccinated and previously infected. So get vaccinated and boosted. Just because you were infected before doesn't mean you're protected against yeah. Omicron. Yeah, not natural immunity, not a thing. Get vaccinated, get boosted. Absolutely, 100%. Do it for your family. Do it for your family. If you won't, do it for me or yourself. But I think everybody do listening it, is do doing it. Do it for AG. <laughs> uh, all right, we got a lot of news to get to as evidenced in the long introduction. So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. And breaking news as of the recording of this podcast, Michael Flynn. The embattled former national security advisor to then-President Donald Trump is suing to block the U.S. House subpoena for his phone records. His lawsuit marks the eighth court challenge against the ability of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol to gather evidence on Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Now, <laughs> Andrew, I have not yet read this lawsuit, but you and I uh, today on Clean Up on Aisle 45 uh, uh, broke down... Uh, a lawsuit, another lawsuit, right, brought by uh, somebody trying to uh, resist <laughs> the the one six committee. Yeah, all of these lawsuits have as their you know common nucleus argument, right? The idea that uh, the one six commission was inappropriately constituted, uh, that uh, it is acting beyond its authority, uh, that uh, you know somehow. Uh, all of these are uh, are inappropriate uh, in terms of uh, not having uh, proper, not having a legitimate legislative purpose. Um, and and look, um, we've this this case has been litigated to finality at the Supreme Court. Right, this is the Mazar standard. We know that 
uh, congressional committees have a valid authority to issue subpoenas to gather information for any potential legislative purpose, right? Contemplated, pending, right? They cannot do it if the purpose is solely to prosecute criminal wrongdoing. Uh, but the fact that you may gather criminal information is the kind of thing that's relevant to a legislature in determining how to write new laws. Um, and so uh, all of these are really uh, going to go nowhere. Yeah, they might delay things for a little while. And and to, to clarify, the, the lawsuit you and I go over on today's cleanup on aisle 45 is the Trump v. New York Attorney General and the New York <laughs> right. Attorney General's office. So different different target for a lawsuit, but same basic idea. I mean, he's not arguing that the 1-6 committee it doesn't have constitutional authority, or like was not put together properly or doesn't have any authority. Uh, he was arguing something different, uh, but equally as without standing. Yeah, I think there's a lot analogous, right? Because in, in discussing, as we do on today's cleanup on all 45, uh, the Trump lawsuit against Tish James, which is doomed. Uh, we have also discussed on opening arguments, the Mark Meadows lawsuit. Um, I am going on a knowledge fight with our uh, friends over there to discuss the Alex Jones lawsuit against the one <laughs> six committee. And, and they all have, they all make that same kind of core argument of this isn't a real congressional committee. It is. Uh, it's just a witch hunt out to try and find criminal activity. No, it isn't. And it wouldn't matter if it was. Uh, and, uh, and none of these are, none of these are going anywhere. Yeah. Well, aside from that, uh, let's talk about <laughs> Andrew. Tell us what's going on with the United Mine Workers of America, which is a national union, but they represent, I think, the coal miners in West Virginia. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that story? Yep. UMWA uh, represents West Virginia coal miners. They are one of the uh, largest unions, period. And, uh, and I believe they are the largest um, mine workers, union, right? Uh, so you'd think the kind of thing, if you're Joe Manchin, uh, senator from West Virginia, that you might be interested in what they have to say, particularly because you spend all your time talking about what coal miners in West Virginia think. Anyway, uh, UMWA uh, urged Joe Manchin on Monday to, quote, revisit his opposition to Biden's Build Back Better plan. The labor union noted uh, that Build Back Better includes an extension of a fund that provides benefits to coal miners suffering from black lung disease. Uh, which otherwise is going to expire uh, in uh, 10 days at the end of the year. UMWA also touted tax incentive that encourage uh, manufacturers to build facilities in coal fields that would employ thousands of miners who have lost their jobs. Uh, so Cecil Roberts, the union's president, said, for those and other reasons, we are disappointed that the bill will not pass. We urge Senator Manchin to revisit his opposition to this legislation and work with his colleagues to pass something that will keep coal miners working and have a meaningful impact on our members, their families and their communities. Manchin, as you know, on Sunday announced that he would not support uh, the Democrats roughly two trillion dollar climate and social spending bill. Build, build Back Better, dooming its chances in the 50-50 Senate. Uh, because, uh, as we know, zero Republicans will support, uh, <laughs> even though eventually uh, when something like this passes, uh, they will all take credit for the good things it does in their states. Um, Manchin instead said that lawmakers should address inflation, the national debt, and rising COVID-19 cases. So, you know, at least one out of those three makes sense. <laughs> As uh, countless interest groups call on Manchin to reverse course, the statement from the Mine Workers Union might be the most impactful. Manchin was born into a coal mining family and for decades has worked closely with the UMWA, which named Manchin as an honorary member last year. 
Mm. Um, at the time, Joe Manchin said, I'm not going to try and do my Joe Manchin voice, but uh, <laughs> imagine that I'm 900 years old. Standing alongside the UMWA members while they fought tooth and nail to secure the pension and health care benefits they rightfully earned has been one of the greatest honors of my life. Mm. Uh, Manchin, of course, owns stock in a coal brokerage firm uh, and played a key part in overhauling the Build Back Better bills, uh, energy, clean energy provisions, and pushed uh, for the measure to incentivize new clean energy jobs for displaced coal workers. Right? Remember the six months that we spent uh, catering to Joe Manchin's whims? Mm-hmm. Um, UMWA President Roberts added in his statement that the spending package includes a provision to penalize companies that deny workers the ability to unionize, a measure taken from the larger pro-union pro-act that Manchin supports. And again, uh, parenthetically, that's a great act. Um, zero chance of it, you know, breaking a filibuster, but uh, it's it's good legislation. During a Q&A session today, uh, during a presser on the Omicron variant, Biden said he believed that he and Joe Manchin would be able to cut a deal, which you know, is is a very Joe Biden thing to say. Yeah. And this is an interesting, this makes me think that maybe, maybe Joe Biden, maybe Uncle Joe called up UMWA and was like, <laughs> all right, hey. <laughs> time to turn up can, the heat. Can you, can you lean on Manchin a little bit for me? Um, Get it? Turn up the heat? <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, it, it, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is, it is very easy to, and so we do it, to express frustration with Joe Manchin. Um, but I but I don't know how you move him, right? And so um, if this uh, if this was indeed uh, Uncle Joe calling up the uh, United Mine Workers Aid, uh, Association, um, good, good on him. It's, uh, you know, it is certainly worth trying. Good move. I wonder what else he's got up his sleeve, if, in fact, Oof. it was in his sleeve. I sure hope so. <laughs> and up next, the New York Times is catching up with me. Well... Almost. Almost. From Michael Schmidt and Luke Broadwater, as investigators sifted through troves of documents, metadata, and interview transcripts, they started considering whether the inquiry could yield something potentially more consequential in the 1-6 committee, evidence of criminal conduct by President Donald J. Trump and others that they could send to the Justice Department urging an investigation. I'm quoting here, that move, known as sending a criminal referral, has no legal weight as Congress has little ability to tell the Justice Department what investigations it should undertake, but it could have substantial political impact by increasing public pressure on Attorney General Merrick Garland, who in his first year in office has largely sidestepped questions (laughs) about what prosecutors are doing to examine the conduct of Mr. Trump and his aides as they promoted baseless allegations of voter fraud. He's sidestepped questions he can't answer, Mr. Schmidt. According to people briefed on their efforts, investigators for the committee are looking into whether a range of crimes were committed, including two in particular, whether there was wire fraud by Republicans who raised millions of dollars off assertions the election was stolen, despite knowing the claims were not true, and whether Trump and his allies obstructed Congress, an official proceeding, actually, by trying to stop the certification of electoral votes. He needs to get this language right. Obstruction of Congress is 1505. Obstruction of official proceeding is 1512 and carries 15 more years in prison. Now, I've been speculating, as you might know, (laughs) for weeks that that was the case. And now, yes, this is news that they have confirmation from the committee that they are considering criminal referrals. Good news. Say that. Yeah. But they left something out. Again, the Times reports that investigators are looking into whether there was wire fraud by Republicans who raised millions of dollars off the big lie. And gosh, we sure hope the committee refers that to the Department of Justice so they could start looking into that. Well, newsflash, Mr. Schmidt. 
The Department of Justice has been investigating that wire fraud for months, according to a report from Murray Wass, which I've been screaming about since it dropped on <laughs> December 3rd. The broader federal criminal inquiry into Sidney Powell, led by the United States Attorney for the District of Columbia, has since last fall been examining allegations of fundraising and financial fraud by Powell in the running of the group, according to documents reviewed by The Guardian. It goes on to say, they're also looking into whether Powell defrauded donors by falsely claiming their donations to, I think, defend the republic were used to finance lawsuits Powell filed to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Powell has said the mission of DTR has been to, quote, protect the integrity of elections in the United States, but to do so required that millions of dollars must be raised. But investigators have only found a single instance in which DTR funds were used to finance one of Powell's numerous <laughs> high-profile election cases. Ironically, the federal investigation, again, grand jury impaneled under Merrick Garland in the Department of Justice in D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, Ironically, the federal investigation, that particular federal investigation, is looking into whether Powell improperly used the funds from her PAC to defend herself in defamation cases brought against her by Coomer and Dominion Voting Systems. So if you don't think that investigation reaches Linwood, Rudy Giuliani, and Trump himself, I have a bridge to sell you. <laughs> now, we have not heard tell of any criminal investigations into 18 U.S. Code 1512C2, or 1505 for that matter, obstruction of an official proceeding or obstruction of Congress, respectively. But I think we can safely assume that criminal referral will be made well before the midterm elections to the Department of Justice for consideration if they're not investigating it already. So yes, the New York Times, while it would be cool for the committees to make a criminal referral for wire fraud to the Department of Justice, they already are and have been investigating it broadly. Specifically, Molly Gaston, assistant U.S. attorney in D.C., has been personally put in charge of politically charged 1-6 cases, including the wire fraud case, Bannon's indictment, likely Meadows' referral for contempt, and whatever else would fall into that quote-unquote politically charged category. Yeah, those those are just excellent points, and I'm I'm glad to see that the New York Times is you know seventy five percent of uh, of where you are, but uh, uh, hopefully they're listening and will um, will uh, update their reporting accordingly. It 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 is hard to inform the public about confidential grand jury proceedings. That's just the nature of uh, of trying to uh, uh, piece together the crumbs of evidence that are left behind, and you're you're doing amazing work on that. Thank you. So. A Washington state man was sentenced to 46 months in jail for assaulting a police officer with a dangerous weapon in a tunnel at the uh, U.S. Capitol during the 1-6 insurrection. Uh, during the Capitol riot, Devlin Thompson helped move police shields up a line of rioters in a tunnel, attempted to throw a speaker at police officers, which ended up hitting and injuring a fellow rioter, and eventually hit a police officer in the hand with a metal baton, according to the court documents. Uh, Thompson, uh, who spent nearly three hours on the grounds of the Capitol on January 6th, uh, pleaded guilty earlier this year. Uh, all of these cases are guilty plea cases, right? Um, and many of them have been before Judge Royce C. Lamberth of the uh, U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. Very, I mean, possibly the most conservative judge on that court. Um, somebody who has uh, expressed uh, some sympathy with... Um, uh, exhortations of uh, of change and remorse, uh, but uh, you know the 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 judge who imposed a uh, a forty one month uh, sentence on uh, the QAnon shaman Jacob Chansley, 
so Judge Lamberth uh, said that while Thompson deserved credit for his early cooperation, he could not see a justification for going below the sentencing guidelines in these cases, which is 46 uh, to 56 months where there is aggravated uh, uh, violence uh, in connection with um, the 1-6 insurrection. Quote, the violence that happened that day was such a blatant disregard to the institutions of government, uh, Judge Lambert said uh, before handing down the sentence. You didn't just come up and sock a guy in the face. Uh, that was Lamberth uh, referring to Scott Fairlam. That was the MMA guy who lost the fight, right? Yeah. Uh, who also received 41 months uh, for punching an officer. You're, you're shoving and pushing and participating in this riot for hours. Um, so... Thompson is the second January 6th rioter to be sentenced for the felony of assaulting an officer with a dangerous weapon. The first, Robert Palmer, received a 63-month sentence for attacking police officers with a fire extinguisher, a wooden plank, and a pole, and more than 140 other rioters face that same charge. Whew. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, there's a lot of them who are pleading not guilty as well. Yeah, that's right. And, and this is... Judge Lamberth has sort of set the bar for, you know, what you get if you have pled early, right? If you've agreed to a plea deal uh, and pled guilty early, um, if if you take this to trial, um, <laughs> the, these sentences are going to go way up. Yeah. And there's probably aggregate, ag- aggravating factors um, associated with that. I don't know if there's a domestic terrorism aggregating factor, aggravating, not aggregating. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, then you're looking at the at least the higher end of the sentencing guideline. Um, well, and you get and you get a two level reduction for acknowledgement of guilt, right? Mm-hmm. So instantly, you know, you're you're talking about uh, tacking uh, two more levels on the on the sentencing table, and those things, you know, start going up um, not by small numbers as you continue to uh, to pile on the offense level. Yeah, most of those cases are going to be 2022 and 2023 in court. So this is going to be dragging on for quite a while. Uh, All right, everybody stick around. We have a discussion about Scott Perry's refusal to comply with the 1-6 Committee's request for a voluntary interview and handing over of documents and possible legal considerations to make this a more complex case should they choose to subpoena and or move forward with criminal contempt if he defies the subpoena. Uh, it's a big due process discussion, and I'm I'm happy to talk to Renato about that. He's the host of the On Topic podcast. So everybody, stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's Ag for the Beans. Do you ever think about how many hours we spend inactive, staring at screens, sitting in front of the computer, watching TV? What if you could turn those otherwise inactive times into opportunities to burn calories and keep your joints moving? That's what I'm doing thanks to my new QB. That's C-U-B-I-I. It's a compact elliptical unit that fits right under your desk or right in front of your couch. And you can be pedaling while you're watching TV or sitting at your computer. In fact, I'm using it right now while I'm recording this commercial. And you can't hear it because it's whisper quiet. And it's super easy on your joints. It's low impact. And a recent clinical study confirms that it burns 84% more energy than just sitting here. Well, we all say I'd work out more if I had more time. Well, QB makes that possible, and it makes it easy to burn calories and stay active anytime from virtually any seat in your house. QB is also perfect for anyone who might be housebound or otherwise needs some help to improve circulation and keep active. So if you have a parent or loved one who has limited mobility and needs a way to stay healthy and keep moving, QB would be the perfect gift this holiday season. I love my QB, and I know you will too. You can take advantage of QB's 30-day risk-free in-home trial and turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy. 
Visit QB.com slash beans to find the QB elliptical model that's right for you. That's QB, C-U-B-I-I dot com slash beans. And today's show is also brought to you by Monk Pack. If you're looking for a delicious, healthy snack that actually fills you up and is tasty, I have a recommendation for you. It's Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars. They taste amazing and contain just one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. I was so surprised at how delicious they were because healthy snacks don't have the best reputation, but these are so delicious. And they're gluten-free, grain-free, plant-based, non-GMO, no soy, no trans fat, no sugar alcohols, and no high-intensity sweeteners. But you don't have to be keto to love these, right? I'm paleo. I'm not keto. These are just good, healthy, filling, delicious snacks. And, you know, if you're trying to eat better, the Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars are a go-to. They come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip and peanut butter or blueberry almond vanilla. My favorite this week is peanut butter. Uh, I love the texture. They're chewy. They're crunchy, sweet, salty. They hit all the right spots. And they don't have any high-intensity sweeteners or weird aftertastes. Try it for yourself and you'll see. We have a special deal for you. You get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange your product for something else that you will like. Or they'll refund your money, whichever you prefer. So there's no risk. So to get started, just go to MonkPack, M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product. Enter code DAILYBEANS. DAILYBEANS is all one word. And you do that at checkout, and you'll save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on, and we thank them for sponsoring the show. Everybody, welcome back. Happy to be joined today by the host of the On Topic podcast, Mr. Renato Mariotti. Renato, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Back from my honeymoon, so that's a good thing. Yes, how was it? Where'd you go? Tell, tell. Uh-huh. We actually went to Saigatuck, Michigan. We originally planned on going overseas, but um, not the right time for overseas travel right now, especially with elderly, uh, you know, parents that we're that we're in interacting with on a regular basis. Definitely not. And Michigan's got some just absolutely beautiful places to visit. It really does. Um, now. We're going to talk today about Mr. Scott Perry, member of Congress, current member of Congress, elected official. And there's been a little back and forth on social media today about why his case is more complex than, let's say, Steve Bannon's. First of all, we don't really have a case yet because he hasn't even been subpoenaed. So we don't, he hasn't been criminally for we don't even have a case yet. But looking down the road, looking at where this is probably or could go, can you tell us a little bit about the importance of due process and why a member of Congress, a sitting member of Congress, might have a more complex case and other considerations. Not that he's got a a good defense or a winning defense. He just has more things in his defense that would have to be prepared for. Can you talk about that? For sure. So just as a starting point, I agree with you that um, doing things the right way is important. And it goes beyond how things are going to hold up in court. I mean, to me, we also, this is the United States of America, after all. And what we're fighting to defend here are the rights of all Americans in the constitutional system that we have. So I think as a starting point, we should be concerned about doing things the right way. And and certainly, I will just say, as a Democrat and as a progressive, I care about uh, the Constitution and I care about making sure that that everyone's rights are respected. Putting that to the side, or, or in a related point, <laughs> Members of Congress uh, are tricky uh, when you're trying to investigate and certainly when you're trying to prosecute them because there's a special clause in the Constitution that most people don't pay a lot of attention to. It's not as uh, well publicized as maybe the First Amendment or something more sexy. It's called the speech or debate clause. And what essentially it does is it, it 
is meant to shield members of Congress from being hauled off either by the executive branch or the judicial branch uh, for things that they're saying or doing in the course of their duties as members of Congress. So the, the uh, I'll give you a paradigm case, a case that everyone may have, or well, not everyone's heard of, but a lot of people heard of is Senator Mike Gravel going on the House, or excuse me, the Senate floor and reading the Pentagon Papers. He could not be prosecuted for reading these classified materials on the Senate floor because that is sort of the core of what the speech or debate clause was meant to protect. He could say whatever he wanted to say there, but it's been construed by courts to cover all the legislative and official duties of a member of Congress. And so whenever you're dealing with a member of Congress uh, in an investigation, you have to be considering whether or not you are burdening um, or otherwise you know, interfering with their legislative duties. Although it's more complicated here because the one doing the investigating is Congress itself and not a, a separate branch of government. Now, how does this sort of relate to, remember way back in the early days of, of the uh, insurrection uh, <laughs> discussions, when Mo Brooks, who was being sued by Eric Swalwell and Benny Thompson and NAACP, mm -hmm wanted the Department of Justice to represent him in his case, which would basically dismiss the case against him, saying that when he went up and what he said on the dais at the Ellipse rally on January 6th was part of his duties at his job. And DOJ came back with a very well-written uh, decision saying, we are not going to certify and represent you because, first of all, it was a campaign activity. Campaigning is not covered by the speech and debate clause. And this is a consideration that they might take into account if they decide to subpoena and then go after criminally Scott Perry, right? Was this part of a campaign situation? Because that's not covered by speech or debate. But they actually went on to say, and by the way, neither is overthrowing the government. That's also not part of your job. So <laughs> Court, if you don't buy our campaign isn't covered by speech or debate, perhaps you'll look at our second argument, which is you can't over you can't overthrowing the government speech doesn't really fall into that category. Do you see sort of is that kind of what we're talking about here? You know, like I said, if this case actually goes forward, uh, because I mean, it's to me, I, I could make a pretty great argument that he's not covered. Scott Perry's not covered by speech or debate, but the fact that it has to be considered and researched and prepared for as a defense is what can take time. Do I have that right? Yeah. That, by the way, you put it at the very end. That's, that's how I was going to respond. So you, you take the words out of my mouth, which is that the fact that we have to have this conversation is why, as I said early on, earlier, this is com more complicated. And, and here's an analogy that might be helpful for your listeners is it's like it, when I was a prosecutor, if you were conducting a search warrant at a lawyer's office. Now, it's not that everything a lawyer does is magically privileged, okay? It's not, I'm a lawyer. It's not like when I'm talking to my fantasy football league members, it's privileged, or uh, if I was plotting a bank robbery, it wouldn't be privileged. But the fact is that if you were doing a search warrant of my office, uh, the Justice Department would have to be taking special precautions, would have to consider whether or not it was going through privileged material. Similarly here, there actually have been, you know, we use the term taint, taint teams. I don't know if, you, if your listeners remember that from the, uh, from the uh, Michael Cohen days um, back before yeah. he was a podcast host and was uh, in a, a criminal defendant. 
Um, but back, oh, but yes. Uh, yes, those days. Back in those taint, days. Yeah, taint team, taint teams, and special masters. All sorts of interesting language. Yeah, well, you know, there actually was a taint team that was required by a court in a case involving a search warrant of a member of Congress, and it was specifically to separate out legislative materials from other materials. Because you know, if you're conducting a drug operation, well, that that wasn't the case here, but just an, as an example, you're conducting an uh, you know a heroin trafficking organization out of your congressional office. That's not shielded, but they've got to separate out the congressional stuff from the heroin stuff. Okay. And so that's just, it's complicated. And, and in this case, it's not such a simple divide. Okay. It's not like um, Mr. Perry was in, you know, planning a bank robbery. You know, what was in fact happening, you know, what he will argue, okay, what his position would be is that, well, I was talking to the president about certifying votes and the procedure for that, and that's a core member, a core function of Congress. Now, I'm not saying that that's right, but I, I think that would be his position. Yeah, and I, I have another question for you about going through those documents for legislative things, things covered by speech or debate, et cetera. Uh, but I have to take a quick break. So uh, we're going to be right back after this quick message. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans. Nowadays, we need to produce clothing that has a positive impact, not just on your wardrobe, but on local communities, too, and the environment. American Giant is the epitome of acting locally. They're big on sustainability. They want to make clothes that last so that fewer end up in landfills. They go beyond made in America, and they forge lasting relations with local manufacturers, workers, and communities to obsess over every single detail of their clothing at every step of production. That's how they made their flagship classic full zip hoodie, which is my favorite hoodie. It went on to be called the greatest hoodie ever made, and it is the greatest hoodie I've ever had. And their product line has grown well beyond that first best-selling hoodie. They have a core commitment to revolutionizing your everyday wardrobe, and that commitment has not changed. And I love the quality of American Giant Apparel. Their clothes are durable, the fabric feels soft and comfortable, and it looks awesome. Their locally made clothing is not only beautiful, it's better for the wearer and the people in the communities impacted every step and the planet. Explore American Giant's collection of durable essentials at American-Giant.com. And you get 20% off when you use code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, promo code DAILYBEANS. And today's show is also brought to you by Scribd, the ultimate reading subscription service. If you're trying to find a new book or a podcast or magazine, it's extremely time-consuming. There's endless content. It's almost infinite. I regularly spend as much time looking for my next book as I do actually reading it, but not anymore, thanks to Scribd. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, dissertations, magazines, articles, and more, along with thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read. And that makes choosing your next book that much simpler. And it's all for one low monthly subscription with no hidden fees and no confusing credits that can expire. It's the ultimate reading subscription service, letting you explore all of your interests in any format you choose for just $9.99 a month. I love using their service. I get to discover must-read new work from celebrated authors that premiere exclusively on Scribd, like Roxanne Gay. And when I want to change things up, I can switch between titles, genres, and formats anytime on my phone or tablet, my computer, wherever I'm reading. And right now we're offering you a free 60-day trial. Go to try.scribd.com slash dailybeans for your free trial. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D dot com slash dailybeans to get 60 days of Scribd for free. Welcome back. We're talking with Renato Mariotti from the On Topic podcast. Uh, and before the break, you had mentioned taint teams and special masters and people going through documents. And I find it, I think that probably what might concern some of these 
folks that are being investigated by the committee it may not so much be so much what they get their hands on, but might be that process that you're mentioning of going through these documents for, in Meadows' case, to look for executive privilege uh, or perhaps classified information. The intelligence community would want to go through that. Uh, in, in Perry's case, looking for legislative stuff covered by speech or debate or possibly classified uh, information, again, intelligence community. And when you're going through all those documents, if you come across a crime, you are able to refer that to the Department of Justice. It is how Hillary Clinton got to be come come under investigation was when she handed over all of her stuff to the Benghazi committee and the inspector general at the intelligence community went through all of her stuff looking for classified shit and said, hey, some of this is classified. I need to make a referral to the FBI so that they can investigate this. I think that might be what they're supremely worried about. I think that's right. I mean, in fact, I think that that's how Perry's attorney would be arguing it. In other words, I'm just trying to give your listeners a sense of what the argument's going to be from, from his attorneys, from his side. So if it was just a congressional investigation and nothing more, there was no possibility of anything more, Perry wouldn't have a leg to stand on because this isn't another branch of government. This is Congress investigating itself. But what he's going to say is, no, actually, the, the way he would portray it, I'm sure, is that Democrats in Congress are acting as an arm of the Biden Justice Department. And they're doing this at the behest of the department and conducting this investigation essentially as, a, you know, they're a Trojan horse or something like that. Now, of course, it's not that way. These are, I would call, probably parallel investigations is the way that the I imagine the DOJ would can. can consider this and, and it's not infrequent when i was a federal prosecutor we would have a parallel investigation where for example i'd be investigating a, a white collar criminal maybe a securities uh, uh fraudster or a, 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 a trader manipulating the markets and the sec or the cftc would be also having their own investigation civil investigation but nonetheless the the, the perry's argument is going to be this is going to end up in justice justice's hands. And because of that, and because the executive may come after me, that's why we have to care about the speech or debate clause. Hmm. Yeah. And we do have a, a real-time example of a parallel investigation. <laughs> we know that uh, Sidney Powell's Defending the Republic PAC and its 501c3 counterpart uh, are currently under federal criminal investigation in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office by in front of a grand jury. It's been impaneled for months under Merrick Garland. Uh, that that's looking at whether she defrauded donors to the big lie who, who, you know, by by telling them falsehoods or saying she was going to spend it on the Kraken Trump lawsuits when she, in fact, only there's could find one instance of that happening. There's been subpoenas issued. And the one six committee is also very interested. If you've seen recently, they're not only interested in obstruction of an official proceeding, 1512 C2, but they're also interested in whether or not wire fraud was committed in the fundraising efforts, which is that Sidney Powell case going on, which which encompasses Lynn Wood and Rudy Giuliani and, and probably Trump himself. We don't know yet because we've only heard from one witness in one grand jury that there's any other anything going on. Uh, but, yeah, those two things happen in parallel. Now, is his, would Perry's argument that I could get in trouble, you could be going through my stuff and find a crime, is that a defense? Well, it's uh, I, I think it's it's more meritorious than a lot of the things that are being litigated here. In other words, there's something <laughs> there's something to it. OK, I think it would be something that a, a court would try to figure out. In other words, 
you, I could imagine a judge on the one hand saying, okay, well, this is a congressional investigation, not, you know, this is in some other place. There's a language in the statute about being questioned in another place. This is, this is Congress and it could do what it wants. I think I could also see a judge say, okay, well, as you pointed out, uh, AG, there is, there, there are, uh, there are ways in which this finds its way uh, to the executive branch. It's happened in past cases. It's happened even as part of this case. Of course, we've seen criminal referrals. Uh, you know, Representative Perry could has a legitimate concern. I could see a court saying they has a legitimate concern. This could result in an executive branch uh, case. And so, accordingly, a uh, speech or debate clauses is, is uh, implicated. And that doesn't mean it's. It, that he can't be questioned at all, but it might mean that it, certain subjects would be off limits, for example. Yeah, I was going to say limit the scope of the questioning or Congress submit to me the questions you want to ask and the going through of the documents can only pertain to these and you've got to put blinders on for everything else, something like something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I, I would, and, and, th and that kind of thing where people might be like, ah, fuck that, that actually protects the prosecution or a potential future prosecution, because otherwise he could appeal and say, my rights were um, infringed upon because I wasn't granted this limited scope for these questions. And that jeopardizes a conviction being overturned on appeal or somehow dismissed in pretrial motions. So it's, 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 it sounds like bad news, but it helps strengthen the case. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, if I look, I, I currently represent people who are under investigation. If I represented him, I would have a pretrial motion. If he was indicted, that would be my pretrial motion that all of this evidence should be tossed out because it was obtained in violation of the speech or debate clause. So uh, I absolutely think a, a prudent prosecutor, uh, if this wasn't executive branch matter, I think would no que without question be trying to bend over backwards to make sure the speech or debate clause implications are removed from their case. Yeah. And one final question. Meadows, Mark Meadows, former chief of staff, has been referred. Uh, the D.C. U.S. attorney has received, certified, the criminal referral for his contempt. Uh, I think that the committee laid out a great case for it. Uh, but I was trying to caution folks that this probably, it might not go as fast, might not, we don't know, it might not go as fast as the Bannon indictment, which took, I think, 21 days, because Bannon has no claim to executive privilege because he never worked, he didn't work in the government. And the argument is, well, neither does Meadows, because you can't cover up crimes with executive privilege. But it's not whether or not he's got the claim to privilege. It's whether it's the the time that it will take the lawyers on the House committee and lawyers within the Department of Justice to prepare for that defense. It's you have to. I think Meadows has a more complex defense to prepare for than someone like Steve Bannon, simply because of those privilege considerations. I'm not saying he's got privilege in this case. Uh, I'm just saying it has to be considered, and those considerations take time. Does, do I have that right? I agree with you. I would go further. And I would say that in addition to that, Bannon had like a very uh, kind of an FU strategy, okay, to Congress. <laughs> it was basically giving them the middle finger, didn't really take it seriously. I mean, I think his attorney didn't even reach out until after the due date of the subpoena. Meadows has got a much more sophisticated legal strategy where he's got his attorney pr providing some documents, right? And I, I mean, we've seen some of the some of the text messages and so forth. 
uh, you know, at initially making some agreements regarding testimony before backing out, they filed a lawsuit to try to say, hey, judge, you tell us if we have to do this, you know, try, I think that lawsuit was in part meant to provide a defense that would dissuade the DOJ from bringing a case. I think it's a harder sell to a jury to convict somebody who is partially complying and going to a court trying to get an answer than a, a guy like Bannon who just doesn't doesn't give a crap. Right. It's like zero faith, good effort versus like 20 percent good faith, you know, so yeah, it, it's 20 exactly. percent more difficult to, <laughs> to do. Yeah. And I'm actually wondering if the Department of Justice will bring those charges. I'm I'm thinking that they will. I think just based on the questions that they wanted to ask that he did hand over information for, but refused to answer or refused to show up to answer, I think that that seems a, a little more cut and dry than maybe everything they want to to learn from him. But, you know, would a jury make that distinction? Would they be able to maintain it on appeal? I mean, there are a lot of considerations the Department of Justice has to make. And again, it's good that they make these considerations because criminal defendants in the United States have rights. I agree with that 100%. I think the way that DOJ is going to look at this is they're going to be concerned about a jury, uh, a jury verdict, you know, because all you need, you said 20%, that's a great, that's a great number. You know, you need 0% of jurors to vote not guilty in order to get a conviction. And that's, I think, would be the concern of a, of a prosecutor, right? My former classmate, I think, is the U.S. attorney at D.C. now, a former law school classmate. It's a tough call uh, to make in a case like this, particularly when it could become moot by the time a, uh, a, you know, a trial date actually happens, particularly if the civil lawsuit results in a judgment by the, you know, a, a decision by the judge that he has to testify. Yeah, or if the DOJ picks up the case and starts uh, investigating criminally the the coup part of it and not necessarily the contempt part of it, I mean that that sort of just washes that a little away a little bit. But uh, but would that like weaken future congressional subpoenas? Yeah, I mean what I will say is I think that defendants are more are, people potential witnesses are figuring out more and more that you can challenge and delay congressional subpoenas. That's always been the case. Congress has had powers that sometimes it has used its leverage, its political leverage, its, uh, its, its power to do, you know, to uh, impact you via legislation or otherwise to compel compliance from other branches of government and so forth. But yeah, I think there's been defiance. And frankly, I don't know if we're going to see that the scales tip back in Congress's favor. I mean, in the Bannon prosecution, was, I think, a significant step that has impacted other witnesses and how they've approached things. Um, but uh, Meadows is very sophisticated in terms of the, you know, he has a very well-known lawyer who I think is trying to help him uh, find a way out of doing this, uh, at least before the midterms. And, you know, he, he may succeed, he may not, but nonetheless, it's providing a roadmap for others. You saw Stone have a different strategy, right? Just take the fifth. Mm -hmm. That's another, that's certain, that's a, I think, ironclad strategy. If, uh, very close to it. If you take the fifth, you have a constitutional right. Uh, and so we're going to see more of that, I think, from people who are under investigation. Yeah. And Trump wants him to just do what Bannon did and not show up at all. Um, <laughs> so we've got Stone, who pled the fifth, which Trump hates. And then we've got Meadows, who handed over documents and refused to show up, which he hates even more. I, my message to Meadows, if you're listening, you're already under the bus, man. You can come out of this clean if you 
if you talk like that's the only way you're coming out of this clean my friend he's not listening to this show uh but i just wanted to get it out into the universe renato mariotti thanks so much everybody check out the on topic podcast i really appreciate your time today thank you anytime everybody stick around we'll be right back with the good news Hey everyone, the holiday season is here. You might need to invite people over to your home. And if there's one thing I've learned, life is better together. And with the holidays here, again, I'm looking forward to celebrating with my friends and family, my close friends and family, right? No giant indoor gatherings, but I'm using Evite to invite my friends and family over to celebrate the holidays. And I want this year to be really special. So that's why you don't want to call or text, right? Use Evite. It's beautiful. It's creative. They have thousands of free invitation options all fully customizable for your occasion, whether it's a birthday, wedding, baby shower, holiday party, dinner party, whatever you're celebrating, no matter how big or small. And you can choose a design created by their community of professional, amazing artists, or you can upload your own design. And Evite's design templates are fun and easy and simple, and they help you create an invitation. So everything you're celebrating is special. It takes just a few minutes to create and send invitations to everyone on your list. And here's the cool thing. They have RSVP tracking, which I really depend on. And Evite makes it super easy to link a registry or a gift list to your invite, too. Best of all, it's free. I use Evite for all my important, meaningful get-togethers, especially at the holidays or birthdays. And I can use one of their designs or, like I said, create my own and upload it. And its process is so fast and easy and fun from start to finish. It's really a great user interface. And Evite is helping me make my celebrations feel special. And they can help you, too. So head over to evite.com beans to choose from thousands of design options to create and send invitations for free. That's evite, E-V-I-T-E dot com slash beans. Again, evite dot com slash beans. And today's show is also brought to you by my favorite puzzle game, best puzzle game ever created. It's called Best Fiends. Longtime listeners know how much I play this game. (laughs) It's by far my favorite mobile game. I especially love playing when I get a break from work uh, and especially like it during the holiday season. It's a nice distraction. Good pick me up, but keeps your brain fresh and active. Uh, Best Fiends is an entertaining, super fun distraction. Like I said, it's part of my daily self-care. And Best Fiends has it all. They have captivating storylines, collectible fiends, which you can level up and use strategically, have beautiful visuals and colors and sounds, tons of fun puzzles. Uh, I can't put it down. It's quite possibly the best puzzle game out there. And the best part, you do not need Wi-Fi to play Best Fiends. You can play it wherever and whenever you want with offline mode. So if your holiday travels take you off the beaten path, you can still play Best Fiends. It's my favorite mobile game because it's always interesting and challenging. I'm up to level, f- oh, I'm over 4,000 and climbing. But Best Fiends has literally thousands of levels with more added all the time. So there's always a fresh challenge waiting for me when I need a mental pick-me-up. You can download Best Fiends for free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Everyone, welcome back. It's time for the feel-good part of the Daily Beans, the good <laughs> news segment. Well, Joining me today to read the good news submitted by you, the listeners, to us is Andrew Torres. Hello, Andrew. Well, thanks for having me back. I get so little good news that uh, this is just a welcome break. <laughs> yeah, it's a palate cleanser. It's it's definitely awesome. Uh, and if you have anything you want to submit, corrections, confessions, um, misheard song lyrics, we play a, a game called How Stupid Is Louis Gohmert. Um, <laughs> he's getting extra stupid with these lawsuits, by the way. Um, uh, what the mutt? Where we try to guess, Andrew, what breeds your your mixed breed is. Um, find the cat. Send a picture of <laughs> your hidden cat. We try to find it. 
all kinds of stuff. And any holiday recipes, Halloween pictures, I accept all year long. You can send them in by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I'm going to kick us off with a submission from Melissa W., pronouns she and her, cancer treatment update. I'm doing good considering everything. I'm staying at my parents' place and I'm about to end the 12 straight weeks of Taxol on Thursday. My tumor in my left breast has shrunk significantly since I started and looks much better. My hair on my head is pretty much gone. My legs, especially my left leg, are much weaker than I'm used to, and I spend a lot of time in a lounge chair downstairs in the basement. I did get my appointment for COVID vaccine booster and will be going in early January. Mostly I'm just tired, and I just watch TV on my dad's big TV and read and listen to podcasts. I start my days with Muller and the Daily Beans and opening arguments, have over 220 episodes to get through before I'm caught up on OA. <laughs> get at it. <laughs> I brought over my Christmas decorations from my apartment and decorated a small tree my parents have used in the past with most of the 40-plus decorations I've collected since I was born in 1980. <laughs> I hope you guys are all doing well. I'm including a picture of my tree as my pod tax. Look at this tree. It's oh, so it is so beautiful. I. I, I love that story, and thanks for uh, sharing that with us. Yeah, Melissa, Melissa we're all sending you a giant group hug and healing vibes and, and all the love we can muster. Absolutely. So uh, this is from another Melissa, she, her, who starts off, hello, beans queens, which I'll, I'll, I'll take as a pinch hitter for today. That's fine. Uh, okay. It has taken longer than planned, but I can finally share the good news of my new home. Oh. I've lived in New York City for 15 years and always hated paying so much money for rent. Yeah, in New York City, I do not envy you. Before the pandemic, I was considering moving down south where I could afford to buy a home of my own. COVID made me realize how much I love New York and could never leave. It may not always be easy, but New York has a piece of my heart. I'm fortunate enough to have parents that could help with the down payment and a brother who's a real estate agent. I was living in Brooklyn, uh, but it's way too expensive to buy anything there. After months of looking and a couple of offers that fell through, I finally closed on a co-op in Queens. Uh, my brother said that we hit every delay we possibly could, but I moved into my home right after Thanksgiving. Uh, my building used to be a hotel that Charlie Chaplin and Broadway stars stayed during the 1930s, so it has a lot of old charm of pre-war New York buildings. I am really happy, enjoying the quieter neighborhood, and I'm a lot closer to my brothers, so I'm sure I'll be seeing a lot more of them and my niece and nephews. I highly recommend using Chippewa Homes if you are looking for real estate agents in the New York City, <laughs> Long Island area. Um, that's I'll take that plug. That's, that's absolutely that's cheering along with you here. C I P O L L A Chippewa Homes. Yeah. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, me too. Here are a couple of picks for after the closing, and uh, this is just I, I love this little co-op building. It kind of has a like. Uh, Hogwarts slash, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Professor Xavier's School for the for the Gifted uh, kind of vibe from the outside, and then the uh, wood floors are beautiful. So it's the beautiful molding. hardwood floors. Yep. So uh, this is great. We are very very excited for you, Melissa, and thanks for sharing that with us. Hundred percent. Congratulations. All right. Let's see here. I'm going to take the next two, and you're going to bring us home. Nope. We'll just do these one at a time. They're all short, so we'll just do these one at a time. Next up from Walt, pronouns he and him. Any week with five doses of Andrew, two beans, two OA, one A45, clean up on L45, is good news. Aww. Andrew's appearance on Phil Ferguson's show a few years ago accelerated my descent 
into this rabbit hole of law, politics, and other scary knowledge essential to keeping American democracy alive. What a great compliment. For pod pet tax, Coco, who has serious FOMO and wouldn't rest when we had people over and consequently crashed when the last <laughs> guest left. <laughs> oh, this is not only uh, just a wonderful thing to say, and, and Walt, that, that yeah, I'm... As you know, I'm not good at taking compliments, uh, so I will just say that that that's uh, that that's touching and, and really means a lot. This dog, um, literal Coco, literal oh, interpretation gosh. of dog tired. <laughs> it, it, he has a little uh, a, a little Santa hat on, uh, <laughs> and is just sacked out on the couch, and it is an adorable photo. Thank you so much. Mm. Um, oh, I get, I get. <laughs> <laughs> this is Norm, pronouns he, him, who says, Dear Beans Queens, thank you for all you do every day. I love starting my day with your intelligent, witty, and swearing version of the important news <laughs> of the day. Thanks for helping me keep my sanity in these crazy times. You are all the very best. Uh, and so I get zero credit out of that one. That is that is you, Dana, everybody else involved with the Beans. Um, uh, that one's out there for you. For for my pet tax, here's our cat Pepper in the Christmas tree. And indeed, this is a like top-down view of like ornament, <laughs> ornament, light, light, and then right in the middle uh, is this adorable little uh, black cat Pepper, uh, eyes wide open, peeking out, going, wait, no, I, I live in this tree. That's the way it works. <laughs> Thanks, Norm. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you as well. And finally, from Hadari, pronouns he and him. Greetings from one of your many knucklehead listeners living north of you. <laughs> it's great to have confirmation that America's political news counts as strange to other serious people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this may count as a shit old people say story, despite the fact that I respect my dad more than just about anyone else. But... Back in the early 90s, I had to correct my dad a few times and tell him that there was no President George Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it might not have been the worst presidential choice. Well, possible. he did have a parliament. Yeah. Uh, so here's hoping 2022 and 2024 won't make idiocracy look like a step up. I think 20, I think 2016 did, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. You take, I'll take President Camacho. I would too. The week I would drink Brando for, yeah. uh, for the rest of my life than have to deal with the orange grave. Yeah, it is. It's electrolytes. It's important. <laughs> wow. Oh. What a great segment. Thanks to everyone for submitting all of your good news. I really appreciate it. I know Andrew does too. And I hope you give a listen to Clean Up on Aisle 45 today. Uh, and um, do you have any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here today, Andrew? No, I just want, uh, as as we're getting close to the uh, final days, you know, please uh, have have wonderful holiday. Uh, have Merry Christmas if that's the thing you celebrate. And um, you know, please just continue. Be be safe. Travel safe. Uh, visit safe. And um, you know, the, enjoy that time with your uh, with your family and loved ones. Yes, Merry Yule and Happy Solstice, you thieving Christian bastards. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I, this is really amazing to to be able to to do this. Um, every day and um, to have this community and I'm really thankful for it Andrew uh, you are this is your final day with us here you know for the year at least mm -hmm. um, but we will be joined tomorrow by Amy Carrero 
So you get to have in a couple of days with Shira. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Um, uh, that's that's amazing, and I'll be uh, I'll be tuning in if not uh, allowed to come into the buildings. <laughs> awesome. So everybody, until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Ag, and I'm Andrew Torres, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.